Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 183, Bran 1, In A Dance With Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. I really thought you were going to end that line with Bran 1, Adoida, and I was like, we're doing it. We're doing it. I really thought about it because it's way more on brand. On brand? On brand. We're on it today. Adabada. Yeah. Bringing back that bookshelf stud flavor mm-hmm. to the podcast there. What with do you mean Adabada. by flavor? Like, are we eating him today? Flavor. Are we cannibalizing him today? It turns out, unfortunately, He's the community <laughs> has said <laughs> bookshelf like, stud was, was one of the rangers. Uh, welcome back to your number one place to get cannibalism content in A Song of Ice and Fire, Girls Gone Canon. Eliana is our professional that we're featuring today on the panel. Our cannibalism professional. I I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Eliana. I'm actually not. I feel like some of these movies You have to get paid to be a professional. Some of these movies that came out, I don't actually know. I have not looked into what the menu is about, but I assume it's about cannibalism, but I don't really know. Mm -hmm. It it is. It is. It is. I watched. Yes, I actually... I. You're the expert. Watched it. Whoa. How the turntables. <laughs> <laughs> I think we share a little bit of the expertise when we talk about cannibalism, mm. and we're going to talk more about that. But first, let's get through some of our housekeeping, because I'm actually like a brand Storm of Swords lover. Oh, interesting. And I like Adawada. I think it's a fine book, and I like the story, but it's never gripped me in the way that Stormbrand or Clashbrand does, surprisingly. I think I could be in a minority for a lot of people when I say that. However, however, just like pizza, all brand is good brand. Whole brand is whole brand. All brand is great to me, and I'm now, I'm really into these chapters. There's a whole new light I'm seeing them in, and I'm loving them. So, excited. Same. I've never read all of Bran's chapters all together like this, so it's cool. I think my only complaint about the Bran and Dawada chapters are that there are so few of them. Like, all the other ones, we have at least, what, four chapters per per book, and that gives you a little more time to really see that arc and story, and I kind of wish that there were just more, because I think there's a, Me too. there's a lot that's going on here, and there probably used to be more. We'll, we'll discuss in a second how there probably used to be more Bran chapters in Dance. Yeah, but we are probably going to get a little more brand content going this month in a way. Not just cool. brand, but blood raven content, right? Because our patrons in the Stranger tier and above, which is the $5 tier and up, over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, get access every single month to a bonus episode. Sometimes those bonus episodes are Song of Ice and Fire episodes, and this month, they are as well. We are Ooh. going to be covering the Mystery Night, covering Blood... I mean, Maynard Plum. <laughs> Maynard Plum, who goes to town and is definitely not Blood Raven. But we're going to be covering the Mystery Night, and we're going to be talking a lot about Blood Raven, a little bit about Bran probably in there, and a few of those parallels. And as kind of a special treat, we're going to be releasing our Patreon episode that we did with our friend Joe from Isle of the Faces on the sworn sword and of course that has been released by our wonderful patrons for you but if you go back in time to a time that once existed to relive the adventure that was drunken egg the hedge knight you can hear a special 2017 knight of the seven kingdoms the hedge knight rendition where eliana and i fell in love and were plastered 
So go digging. I'm not linking that for you. Like that is like a scavenger hunt a if you dare. A drunken egg Easter egg hunt. Oh my god. It is. It is. Those were some days. They were some days. It's when Chloe met Eliana. Actually they met before that, but it's when they met. Yeah, that's that's out there. So you can just go find that. But we will be giving you right here on this channel. Here. Yeah. This one you'll see. That we we swear it. <laughs> we swear our sword to you. That will be releasing the last week of February here in 2023 for all you girls gone canon historians from the future tuning in through the Weirwood web. That will be publicly available for you on February 24th, 2023. Yeah, the 24th of February. And we'll be back next month, of course, to bring you more Bran, the final two Branisodes. Next month, actually, we'll be returning for Bran 2 with a special guest that I'm very excited about. And we'll talk about that in a moment after, Eliana, you tell me about our Discord brunch. Yes, patrons in the $10 tier and above, the Thunder tier and above, also get access to our special Patreon Discord, where there's channels and fun to be had, as well as brunch. And this month's brunch is going to be on this coming Sunday, which is February 19th. Yeah, 1 to 3 p.m. ET. And the other thing we have going on for our Discord members is that there's a His Dark Materials Series 3 rewatch. This week's episode is episode 3, I think, if you're listening to this as it drops. And they're doing this every single week. It's going to end, I want to say, front of April. It'll end, but they're gathering, having watched already, and chatting about the episodes on Saturdays from 1 p.m. ET on. Uh, that's being hosted by Pete, Cassidy, and a bunch of guest hosts, some of our friends and patrons, and big thank you and shout out to them. They're doing a wonderful job so far. Everyone has had a good time so far. It's been a good crowd of just, like, everyone with some good thoughts and jokes, lots of jokes, I'm sure. Indeed, indeed. And they're putting a little, lot of effort into that, so there's a lot of detail and, and great points of discussion as they, you know, relive this heartbreaking moment of our lives. Which is kind of what we like to do every week. It is. Whatever book we're reading, it you know? It actually really is. <laughs> so we have some other special things coming your way in March, right? We've already announced that end of March we are starting our coverage of once a month, rewatching Sailor Moon Crystal. But we have one more very fun announcement for you in regards to our coverage of Bran. Our next episode, Bran 2, Adawada, will have a special guest. I, I'm really excited to have this guest on. We got to actually meet them yes. uh, a little bit ago at a George R. R. Martin and Neil Gaiman event, which was really cool. Uh, but Tanya from A Thousand Eyes in One podcast will be joining us. And A Thousand Eyes in One is great. Nikki and Tanya cover so much, right? They cover Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, House of the Dragon, The Wheel of Time Show, N.K. Jemison. Nadia Korafor and more, right? Oh, and the, the Trivia Nights. They host like Trivia Nights live and online. Even during the Pandemic Lovato, they were hosting these online for everyone. Yeah, they used to do them live, I think, in New York at, at a like brewery, which is very cool. I'm not sure if they've been able to resume doing that in person yet. But yeah, along with all the, the authors you listed, they also have covered some of Gaiman's works, which is really fun because, yeah, we did get to meet them at that event. And... I'm I'm really excited. They're both like very 
such smart hosts. They have great insights. Definitely recommend anyone who's a fan of like these Martin series and any of these other authors to check them out. I really like their coverage of House of the Dragon. And yeah, um, if they bring trivia back, mm-hmm. like those, those were hard. Those were really hard. They asked some really good thinkers. I can't remember. There was like a Jamie Lannister season seven one they got us with that. I remember you and I were like, what is the answer to this? I don't know. I've, it was a hard one. I've gone to a couple of them and I'm like, I don't, do I even know this fucking series? <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend if you are in the Brooklyn area, New York area, if they start these back up live and you get a chance to check out their site, please go to one of these. They're a blast. And I will say, whenever we remind people that, yes, we love A Song of Ice and Fire, there are other books to cover. A Thousand Eyes and One is a, is a great way to start, like, finding other books to cover. Like, you know, they did a couple of different books by N.K. Jemisin, including N.K. Jemisin's, what is it called? Great Cities Duologies. It's fun because the first book especially is so focused on New York. I haven't read the second one yet. And so, like, Tanya and Nikki, like, bring this really really fun spin to it that I really love. I'm so glad you called it out too that they're a great gateway drug to other books, right? People There's should so read much. other books and I'm glad that they're living by that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm not innocent of that, right? I know that I've not there there's times where I'd rather just sit and curl up and read a book that I love, right? Which is usually in a song of ice and fire book or a world in that universe. Last year because of the House of the Dragon excitement, I was like constantly chugging Fire and Blood, and I haven't touched it probably since last year now, since we finished recording, and I'm so glad because I'm like, I need a chance at something new. It's good. It stretches the brain out. They're great for that, and I'm like, them, and I'm a Need More Wine podcast. Uh, Jocelyn's podcast is great. Mm, yeah, yeah. I really, really recommend that, too. They cover some really great shows that get me out of like my show-watching habit, too. They're the show equivalent for me of that. So definitely check out A Thousand Eyes and One. Read some other great books. We're going to try to read some other great books, too, this year, I think, on top of A Song of Ice and Fire and some just other books. They don't have to be great. Yeah. And again, I also will probably plug all these again, too. I do want to plug the uh, A Thousand Eyes and Ones House of the Dragon coverage. It was so good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some things that people have sent us. And once more, we are pushing back <laughs> Maddie's email. Sorry, Maddie. Further into dance because it, it just matches with a Dawada brand two more. Yes, it's definitely intended for a Dawada two. We're going to come back to it with Tanya next month for the next episode. But that said, I would like to redact calling it an email. I feel like that's reductive. It's an essay. It's actually a brilliant piece Sorry. of work. God. I- I'm serious, though, that I did paste it into my notes because I wanted to go through it and read it. And I was like, damn. Maddie, this is the episode, girl. I don't even have to do it now. She she did the damn thing, so I can't wait to bring up some of her points next week and share them with you all. While you await Maddie's famous novel, her <laughs> work that, honestly, in my opinion, it rivals Tolstoy. You know, I mean, it is, it is brilliant. It is deep. You're going to hear it next episode. But in the meantime, our friend Brandon, who's been emailing us, and actually he has a new title. This is amazing. <laughs> Uh, it act- I really did laugh at this one. He said he's the king who emailed because he's a Brandon. He has to have yeah. some sort of, as we've discussed, moniker. Uh, he wrote in to talk about our coverage of Sailor Moon Crystal that he's looking forward to that's coming to a podcasting platform near you next month in uh, March. He's glad to hear that we're going to be covering Sailor Moon Crystal, and it makes sense to start because both Bran and Usagi Tsukino are lovable 
compassionate leaders, and crybabies, which I personally relate to. So first of all, how dare you? Uh, he goes on to say after Crystal, maybe we should do an episode on Yuna and Titus from Final Fantasy X, and that Yuna is magical enough. And I'm, you know I'm sitting here and I'm like, yes, yes, let's start on Final Fantasy, girls. Can we do Final Fantasy POV? I gotta play all of them episodes? first. Um, that could be a fun <laughs> project. I love this for you, but Spoilers, Final Fantasy X, if you don't know. But he says Titus being the main character, even though he, he remarks, this is my story, it's really Yuna who carries the story and the game and the party on her back. Just as Catalan carried A Song of Ice and Fire for the first three books on her back, he says, true. Very true, bestie. Uh, similar to A Song of Ice and Fire, FF10 rewards on replay when you revisit it after learning the meaning of Yuna's pilgrimage and what it means for her and her guardians. So he cannot wait for Sailor Moon and also Arya in March, he says, because he believes Arya is the next POV. And he says, we all know it's actually fake Arya impersonated by Jane Poole. So actually, the next POV is not really Arya, but Sansa. Because it's true. We it's, are doing Sansa it's true. all We're over again. We're doing Sansa again. Absolutely. I thought this was a fun suggestion of doing Yuna from Final Fantasy X. And Brandon is right. Because it is Yuna's story, and that is confirmed by X2, which is literally... Mm-hmm. Yuna is the main character of X2. She learns about short shorts Absolutely. and other clothes. And there's. I will die on the hill that the dress of spheres were fun. The, so. Are they not? And then also, like, so there's a video somewhere. I missed one of the notes, but it's fine. Of my friend and I at, I want to say it's Otakon. This is like 10 or 12. Oh, I sent it to you. That's right. 10 or 12 years ago of us singing like a thousand words from X2. I do the English version. My friend is the Japanese version. She's dressed as Renoa. Right, from a different Final oh, yeah. Fantasy game. So Eight. <laughs> Yeah, uh I also like my friends used to call me so this was back before I'd even played the game because of like what my hair looked like in high school. Some of the kids in anime club because yeah, of course I was a weave in anime club called me Yuna, which is very cute. Oh, Yuni, how cute. <laughs> yeah, so that's That's her nickname. That's what Riku calls her. Oh yeah, I guess we could be that like that. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. Final Fantasy X would be fun to talk about. I would love to go, we gotta get you playing some Final Fantasy, some other ones, and then we gotta come back to it, for sure. I mean, it is sad enough, right? Oh yeah, that's why I love it. I love that <laughs> shit. I'm actually in the middle of a 8 replay for a friend's podcast. I don't so. know anything about 8, other than like what, they remastered it or redid it recently, right? Yeah, I've got an 8 tattoo. I know, I do know this. That's my, my baby. <laughs> that's my baby. It's a good 19-year-old choice, you know? I don't know. As a as a older woman now, I'm like, would I have done it again? I don't know, but I love it. Why not? In my mature age. Well, speaking of the passage of time. The passage of time. This brings us to our lightning round where we discuss what we missed between Bran 4 in A Storm of Swords <laughs> and Bran 1 in A Dance with Dragons. And right off the bat, I want to say we missed a lot, right? A Storm of Swords happens. You know, there's more death. Oberyn does the whole, like, you raped her, you murdered her. The mountain, there's there's a good amount of Tyrion stuff. You've escapes. read the book. Yeah, 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 a lot of shit Oh, happens. Tyrion, shit. He's there. He's in He's this there book, too. too. Yeah. Fuck. A lot happens. Right. So then, a feast for crows happens. We don't know, right? What, we don't what know. What even is... book? I don't know it. Well, okay, to be fair, that book got to Bigford's britches and yes. got snipped in half and became a feast for crows and a dance with dragons. That's what happened. 
during a feast for crows, what you're missing. And as Eliana kind of alluded to earlier, I believe we're missing a brand chapter, right? I want to say there was one brand chapter that should have stayed in and got pushed to the winds of winter. <laughs> rip. What that chapter holds, rip. What that chapter holds, we don't necessarily know. However, as we get into today's chapter, which almost feels like the mystery of cold hands being unfurled across from us. Maybe there's an answer that we're waiting for in the winds of winter. We'll talk more about that today, but during A Feast for Crows, I think Brandon Stark and his companions were probably still cold and still walking all the way to this cave. They're out there touching tree lips. My dad always said, you don't want to lick a cold weirwood, man. Your tongue will stick to it. That's not what my dad said. (laughs) Your dad did not say that. So It's actually like a metal pole, but... Adoada, the prologue, which we have covered. Baramir is injured and looking for a new host. Tyrion won. Emotionally wrecked, Tyrion stays with Illyrio, who convinces him a three-headed dragon from across the sea should reign in Westeros. Daenerys won. A different dragon across the sea grieves one of her soldiers, while her people grieve their losses as well. Jon won. Another dragon. No, I'm just kidding. Through Ghost's eyes, John remembers his pack, and by day, he tries to lead a very different pack. Mm, interesting, interesting. Fighting evil by moonlight. Not oh my God. love by daylight. Not by daylight. <laughs> so Always running from the real fight. He, he doesn't know if he's to- a Stark or Snow. <laughs> he's going to get stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> So, that brings us to Adoda, Bran 1. A new member joins Bran's party as they work to complete their quest in finding the Three-Eyed Crow. Do-do-do-do. <laughs> Are we there yet? Bran never said the words aloud, but they were often on his lips as their ragged company trudged through groves of ancient oaks and towering gray-green sentinels, past gloomy soldier pines and bare brown chestnut trees. Are we near? the boy would wonder as Hodor clambered up a stony slope or descended into some dark crevice where drifts of dirty snow cracked beneath his feet. How much farther, he would think, as the great elk splashed across a half-frozen stream. How much longer? It's so cold. Where is the three-eyed crow? Yeah, so that opening line of are we there yet and all the other questions below of how much longer right on one hand i'm like is this a meta of george talking a little bit about how he was trudging through writing a dance with dragons and also a feast for crows because those both got delayed a lot and dance with dragons even more so and when that split happened and then on the other hand it is just in general a reminder of brand's age it harkens to those tropes of how children feel during you know road trips if you were once a child taken on a journey by your parents, probably not nearly as harrowing as Brands, but in a car. You didn't grow up in Michigan, so. <laughs> in a car. <laughs> and then also, you know, yeah, again, like parents dealing with the kids asking, are we there yet? To remind us of Brands' youth. Yeah, when I read this, I immediately thought that it was a very clever play on Brands' childish nature and the things he's grappling with, with being both a child and being thrust into this great green seer responsibility he's about to come upon uh, against a horror-filled frosty landscape right this chapter actually while in a way it serves as filler in my opinion and a transitional chapter between the fact that you've been gone for 
probably a book and a half, if you really think of it that way. There are a good chunk of chapters after Brand 4, right? Brand 4 ends in we're put into darkness with Bran. We get nothing until A Dance with Dragons. Now, besides the the, the bits with, uh, I guess, with the Sam back and forth, but Brand 4 kind of ends and Bran ends with it for a while. And now when you come back, it serves as a purpose to remind you of where we are slash where we have come, right? We are now surrounded by snow. We're surrounded by trees. We're surrounded by much less the harrowing journey before was that someone was following them, someone was following them, and we're going to learn about what's going to happen to what was following them in this chapter. And as you go through, there's almost these little bits, like from old Nan, right, who's still narrating, although she's no longer on the page with us, she's still narrating, and you get kind of the horror story sense of the being followed and on the harrowing journey. And next chapter, we'll talk a lot as this landscape turns, I mean, just straight awful, right? You have arms and bodies coming out of the snow at you to take you. So this is the calm before the Dance with Dragons storm for Bran. Or the calm after the a Storm of Swords. Get it? <laughs> Way after. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it it is. It is. And excited to jump into it. And it's kind of funny when you think about it, because like this chapter doesn't really, as it transitions us into here, doesn't really do a lot of the whole like last time on Bran or like here's what you missed, right? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I think Tyrion's chapters actually do that too much, his first few chapters in Dance. So Bran's chapter that is interesting. a little tighter. Bran's Crypt Sword became useful for bashing trees full of snow out of the way as Hodor Totes him along through the frigid cold, and on the journey to the wall, they told stories to, I don't know, keep company, and apparently the story they didn't tell was, I guess, the Song of Ice and Fire for all those years, but it's too still here, even before the snows began. Now everything is buried in white, with an occasional raven flying overhead. The ranger, nicknamed Cold Hands, sits on the elk, grim, silent, pale. His hands are black and hard as iron. He's wrapped in layers of wool and leather and ringmail. His features shadowed by his cloak and a scarf about his face, too. I'm really loving the change of scenery. It's very different from where we were. The You can tell we're beyond the wall now. We're getting into the heart of the cold. The, the storms, the snows are much heavier. And it's weird because I was sitting here thinking about it. And it's totally a we're not in Kansas anymore mm. moment, right? And then I was like, wait a second. This is very Wizard of Oz, right? Mm. You have the boy and his dog, his three humanoid companions-esque, swept away from the wreckage of their destroyed home and entering a world where it's eerily different from before, past the threshold. He's asleep and he's dreaming on and off, right? And perhaps it's the hero's journey in being a bigger thematic connection for Dorothy and Toto, but there's something kind of like it. Like, even the flying monkeys right? Except it's whites in the next chapter instead of flying monkeys. And now the only way for Bran and his companions to return home is to follow the road that leads to the Wizard of Oz, who is supposed to help him fly, right? He's supposed to give him something magical. But once he gets there, it turns out it's a different kind of magical thing to, to cure him and for him to fly. He's not going to fly. He's not going to walk, not physically at least. So kind of a bust when you get to behind the curtain at Emerald City, right? Yeah. And maybe even something more sinister, right? Than silly man lovers 
Or I guess he does have lovers, yeah. right? It seems like maybe Bloodraven's and pulling some lovers. But I like what you're saying here about it having that Wizard of Oz-esque feel because it's almost in the reverse when it comes to the colors. We go from the land of Westeros where there's all these different colors of fall, the leaves, etc. And then now we come to this wilderness where everything is kind of in black and white. Right, which is what happens in The Wizard of Oz, but in reverse. You start out with the black and white cinematics, and then suddenly you're like, oh, color. It's like, what, the first color film or something, right? Are you saying listen to Pink Floyd backwards and you'll hear brand chapters? Probably. <laughs> I bet George, wow. George would wow. be into that. Yeah. That's kind of why I'm not writing it off as a legitimate thought I had. You know? <laughs> I was thinking it. As I was thinking it, I was like, that's silly. And I'm like, wait a second. Is it silly, though? Maybe. Is it silly? Follow the yellow brick mm. road beyond the wall. Meanwhile, Mira has been trying to keep her brother warm slash alive. And he's shivering violently. He has frozen snot under his nose like that one Pokemon. It's like a little bear with a snot thing under the Cub Chew. Like Cub Chew. He looks small and weak. Even more so than Bran, and Bran thinks, and I'm a cripple. Ouch. Not great. Things are not going great for Jojen. I've had that thought before, right? Like, and I, I'm already broken, so, like, if you're not doing hot, I worry for y'all. Sorry. Thinking about everyone. Especially Jojen. God. Cub Chew. I'm worried Cub Chew. for Jojen constantly. I don't know if he's going to make it, man. Summer it, I don't think Jojen knows if of, he's going to make it. I think Jojen does know if he's going <laughs> to yeah, make it. True. I think that's the problem, actually. That's true. Summer brings up the caboose of all of this, still limping on his injured leg from Queen's Crown, which Bran can feel whenever he slips into Summer's skin. He had been doing it more often than not lately, being able to see and hear and smell better than the boy in the basket could. We have this quote of, Other times, when he was tired of being a wolf, Bran slipped into Hodor's skin instead. The gentle giant would whimper when he felt him and thrash his shaggy head from side to side, but not as violently as he had the first time. Back at Queen's Crown, he knows it's me, the boy liked to tell himself. He's used to me by now. Even so, he never felt comfortable inside Hodor's skin. The big stable boy never understood what was happening, and Bran could taste the fear at the back of his mouth. It was better inside Summer. I am him and he is me. He feels what I feel. This is why consent is literally sexy. Like, I'm not kidding. This actually, like, shows something, right? Yeah. That he's like, it feels bad inside Hodor. Hodor does not want me there, and I can sense that. I can feel it. And coming off, of course, of Veramir's chapter reading this, there's a lot to think about there, especially with Thistle, right, at the end of the chapter. It was better inside Summer. You know, their connection is different, and I don't know. It feels better when the other animal is okay with it or the human is okay with it, it sounds like. Yeah, not not many humans would be, but I, I have read stories where like they experiment with that. But it is consensual, right? That's something that both parties wanted to like play around with, teenage things. And I like that you draw that explicit connection. I mean, it it's obviously inherently there. We're gonna see him in this chapter with the Veramir prologue, but how you compared it with the scene with Thistle because. It says here, Bran could taste the fear at the back of his mouth, and that reminds me of what Thistle does to try and eject Viramir from her body. She bites off her own tongue, you know, tasting it at the back of your mouth, or removing your sense of taste in order to, to preserve your autonomy over your body. Hodor. I'm so sorry, Hodor. I love you. Yeah. He's a Feeling man. Feeling real bad for him right now. 
as yeah, Maester Lewin. He's not just a horse. Us. He's not. He's not. And like everyone's kind of treating him like one. Yeah. This journey's reduced everyone to something, and for Hodor, it's a bigger toll. Hodor and Jojen. Mm. Jojen's like, I'm paced. Yeah, it's it's an interesting like juxtaposition, right? Jojen's going into this knowingly, knowing what he's giving up for Bran. Hodor, it's being taken from him. He's like, they say he's Hodoring less because of the cold, but I'm like, I don't know if it's just the cold. Part of it, it could be because he's being broken down inside. Yeah. Sometimes Bran senses Summer sniffing after the elk, wondering how to take it down. Summer was used to the horses, but this was an elk. Prey. The warm blood was enough to make Summer slobber, and Bran, too. A raven quarks nearby, and by day, half a dozen ravens stay with them, flitting tree to tree, riding the antlers of the elk, going and returning as they please. But as the sun sets, every branch of every tree for yards around gathered squawking birds. Cold Hand seems to understand those squarks. They were his eyes and ears scouting for him. I just like the imagery of the birds perched on the elks on the elks' horns as I love they walk it. along. It's just cute. Just really need to call that out. Yeah, I love also that you can sense Blood Raven is watching yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. The ranger pauses finally. Summer growling at him, fur bristling. We have a line of the direwolf did not like the way that cold hands smelled. Dead meat, dry blood, a faint whiff of rot, and cold, cold overall. So I tend to get inspired to write notes about things pretty much right after we record. I don't know what my brain does. It like ADHD kicks into gear and it's like, you have energy. You should be using this towards productive means. And as soon as we got done recording with our friend Anne for last week's episode, I could not stop thinking about the theory that she brought up about everybody kind of, you know, theorizing what if cold hands was made from brands, brands powers. From Bran. Mm -hmm. Bran was controlling cold hands and Bran, you know, kind of was cold hands. And Eliana, you made me read a short story today. (laughs) It was very good. Well, okay. It definitely inspired George. All right. This is one of George's heroes. Okay. Yes. So this story, um, Eliana, would you give us a brief description? Yeah. So I don't want to give everything away just because it's such a short story that I do strongly think that people should try to check it out. Mm -hmm. It's like, it'll take you what? I don't know, 20 minutes to read? If even. Yeah, it took me 20 minutes. Yeah, something like that. It's Robert A. Heinlein's All You Zombies, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like, literally, I think there are two exclamation points. And it's a short story about time travel and affecting the past and timelines through that time travel. We'll link it. You all have to read it. But I will warn you that after hearing discussion of this, if you go into it, you will not be going into it with a with no perceived ideas or notions, because I was able to guess what was afoot very easily. And I was like, oh my god, Eliana, it all makes sense. And she's like, no, just finish it. And I was like, so I was right. <laughs> but uh, there was but also even more. There was bonus to yes. the, what you had said. It was a lot of it. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, and something that I know you're going to bring up throughout the episode is that idea of the circle and of things completing themselves. And so... I mean, the first thing I thought, even just reading this chapter and then especially the next chapter, there's something off about cold hands besides the whole undead kind of thing. Like, that's off, obviously. (laughs) There's something about cold hands. But there's also something in it about creating your own monster and your own horror and realizing what you've done when you can understand it, Mm. right? And maybe it's kind of this, there's an idea of that of like expressing your grief or expressing 
your power or what's within you and it manifesting something, right? Or creating something. And that I feel like is very prominent in horror or in sci-fi. Horror, for example, right? Like manifesting your own thing that terrorizes you or your own poltergeist in the night. That's a very common thing, a common trope. But there's something here that's almost like that of Cold Hands. Everything around him reeks of the last green seer being involved. And if Bran is going to Blood Raven's throne and eventually going to be asked, hey, Branny boy, you want to connect into the throne forever until you wither away. I mean, that's the point, right? Like, he becomes that last green seer. So he effectively inherits and absorbs everything the green seers have done. So, in a way, Cold Hands is either sent by Blood Raven or by him and reanimated by them is kind of how I feel. Like, it's by one of them, but if it's by one of them, isn't it also by the other one? Am mm. I crazy? I don't know. I haven't considered that Blood Raven might become part of Bran, but I think that's interesting now that, like, with the other themes that are going on and what we're discussing here about cannibalism and consumption, that is really interesting. Very... Yes. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Let's come back to that in a bit. But to what you're saying of... You know, Anne's theory, I think, is that Cold Hands... Is Bran in the future skin changing, I don't know, some corpse as cold hands? And mm -hmm. I, I do kind of, after rereading this and some things, kind of feel, there are times when I feel like, yeah, that could totally be it. And there are other times that I feel like it's what you're saying, right? Like that Bran reanimates and makes this as opposed to it being Bran actively at the time. I'm not sure. I go back and forth. And I think it can be both. As we'll sure. talk a little bit more about the time being a circle, especially for that role and that responsibility and where it crosses the line for me as a theory is like you have those kooky plots in sitcoms or in sci-fi shows. I mean, Doctor Who, for example, you'll find it every other episode because it's a show really? about time travel. <laughs> you won't, bitch. But <laughs> don't get me started. I don't have time for you. We have Brand to talk about today. But... Every other episode has some kooky, you know, like you got a checklist of things you have to do to make sure the thing goes right so that there are no paradoxes where everything blows up. And I don't think that this is that kind of story. However, the story you made me read today, this short story, this doesn't write. It's a different thing, right? Because it goes between those lines of like, it's not the main character does go in this short story through a little checklist of some time travel things in a way, but the way it's done is pretty pretty subtly done and not in your face about it, where Doctor Who is literally a show about keeping timelines, right? Aeswath is not a book about that, in my opinion, and I do think like it's a weird line, and I tend to, to lean towards George underwriting that plot, right? Like, I, a loose... I don't think it's going to be a detailed explanation of it at this exact time. Brand decided in the future he was going to go back and skin change and cold hands and make sure cold hands got them there. But there are so many signs in this that tell me it is. You know, it's yeah, yeah. definitely something to do with Blood Raven or Bran. I agree. Um, so I don't know. I think we're out of something there. I don't know if we'll necessarily get a chapter in the future of Bran sitting there and mapping out, oh shit, I gotta go back and save them via cold hands, oh no. I don't think it's that. However, I could definitely see him as he is absorbed into a weirwood somehow or just chilling, being in the net, him going, of course I did that. I remember now. Of course I did. That is me. All of this is me. Yeah. Or even like, you know, and you're talking about that- The Grishka. The Grishka. The Grishka. It reminds me of the Grishka too. And the, the Sears. It also makes me think of like- uh, 
last chapter, when you talked about the body horror aspect of Bran being in Hodor, and then Hodor, from Hodor's perspective, seeing Bran's like limp body in there, and the idea of if Bran through the weirwood witnesses himself because it has to be himself right no one can skin change into mm -hmm. him in that way doing heinous acts right things that are abominable <laughs> if you will and then that it's in it of itself being a body horror like it's not even someone else controlling your body it is and it isn't you see it as yourself and then a, a sort of like uncanniness to to that sort of horror of you cannot stop this thing that you see yourself having done or doing. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it too because this chapter is very dark. It takes Bran in a lot of dark directions. So if you add this third layer of the things he does through cold hands out of necessity and out of knowing the way that the future will go and knowing what he has to do to make sure they arrive in a certain way and safely... It's interesting to consider. It adds this total crazy layer. And now I can never think of the books ever any other way. It's awful. When you're talking about it, like, as, you know, he feels that he has to do it out of necessity, right? And these are, mm -hmm. like, monstrous acts and stuff. And now also makes me think of, like, Bran in the same context as someone maybe, like, Tywin Lannister, right? Tywin thinking that we mm -hmm. must do this out of pragmatism. Wow, you heard it here on Girls Gone Canon. Bran is just as bad as That's Tywin Lannister. That's not what I said. That is That's what you said. That's not what I said. I'm, is what, I'm, I'm this just is Ziva journalism. I'm just talking about, you know, like that idea of like when you, or, or Stannis, you know, Stannis, thinking yeah. you have to do Who? this thing. Who? <laughs> In terms of stag. Second sons, man. Second sons. <laughs> In terms of, uh, you know, like, again, being like, this is necessary to do. This, mm -hmm. this act must be done to save things and i don't know maybe brand's right because he has way more knowledge than any of us because maybe brand knows how these books fucking end um well and you look at blood raven look at the things he's done and the things he's had to do too i think that's the ultimate way to parallel it and we'll talk about that in the next chapter a lot more mm -hmm. so cold hands warns that something is behind them Bran knew they were being followed for days, wondering if it's wolves. Again, another thing that makes me think we're on to something here is that Coldhands' knowledge only seems to be the same stuff Bran knows. Bran could hear the pack every night of wolves, and they seem closer and closer, and he thinks the wolves must smell his weakness. He would wake often before the dawn, hearing the wolves calling to one another, and he thinks if there are wolves, there must be prey, until it came to him. They were the prey. Very chilling line that he realizes they were the prey, especially this coming before later of like, you know, I don't know, man-eat-man man world. I mean, dog-eat-dog dog world. I mean, man-eat-dog, man-eat-man. Whatever kind of eating it is, that gives significance to why the rangers get eated you so that Bran and his company and do not get yeeted. Oh. They don't get yeeted as long as they aren't eated, right? I think that's important, mm. like... He realizes, oh, we're the prey of the forest, and if we don't fight first, yeah, we're food. It makes me think of, in, in covering some of George's short stories, we were talking about the sort of time period that he came out of in sci-fi and stuff, and like the alien movies the alien and alien versus predator stuff yes. and even like terminator stuff right like the fear of term the 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 thing about terminator is that it makes you feel like you're the prey because humans were able to what do long distance endurance running to chase down prey and terminator 
turns that on its head for humanity. So very true about this chillingness. And then, I don't know, there's something about that language of specifically using the word prey, right? And the fact that mm -hmm. they find out they're not being hunted by wolves or any other creature, that they are being hunted by other men. And again, that comes back to that specter of consumption because the word prey has a connotation of whatever is the prey is going to be eaten. So then it, it comes back again to that cannibalism aspect. First, you think that it's wolves chasing other wolves, right? Like chasing because you're mm -hmm. in the skin of summer. But then turns out it's like men preying upon other men, eating men. And doesn't that sum up a feast for crows and a dance with dragons like completely too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, Damn. It all goes together. I wonder what... I really hope we get to learn if he is skin changing into a white to create cold hands. I wonder what the capabilities that are enhanced for him when he sees through cold hands would be compared to Bran or to compared to Summer. Because mm. through Summer, he has enhanced smell and sight. Through cold hands, I wonder what he could see more of. Because then we have this passage where cold hands says he hears men, not wolves. He corrects Bran and he's like, no, it's not wolves, it's men. And he says they're not as shy and that he's going to have to turn back and deal with them and tells Mira to protect them and the boy, head to the fishing village, take refuge, and he will catch up with them. And he goes off, you know, to do whatever, a.k.a. kill the rangers and cook them up. I find it really interesting to the way that he's presented in speaking when he speaks and when we who we're seeing him speak through with Bran and like the unreliable narrator of it all. It is really interesting. I didn't even realize that maybe he has different capabilities in what he hears or can sense. And I mean, I wonder if it's if like... If Bran can't tell it's men, you know, then... Yeah. But whites can. They can sense life, right? Because they look for life to kill it and reanimate it. Or it's because there isn't like another, you know, perspective in there. It may, if it is just Bran in there, like can tell when you're hearing human voices. Whereas like when he's mm -hmm. in summer, sometimes he doesn't have the language. Or, like, the, mm -hmm. the rap reasoning abilities to understand what certain things are also makes me... He has TARDIS translation. Uh, sure. It's basically the idea that whenever... The TARDIS has a circuit within it mm. that translates whatever it lands. So if you landed oh, yeah, in yeah, Italy yeah. right now, you'd know. I you'd be like, oh, I know what they're saying. I remember I remember this aspect. Yeah, it's, it's that or, like, also... I don't know, you were talking about if he's like white or not. I kind of wonder if like cold hands is just like a different method or something that is similar to whatever happened with the whites, you know, but not the same. Like a modified you know, or different version, original version, I don't know. I would argue that you might be right there because you know what just happened alongside this in the last book? There, there were Gregor a lot of things. Clegane's death. Oh, yeah, you're right. Gregor Clegane's <laughs> death and his reanimation yeah. that comes up in the last book is Sir Robert Strong's reanimation. Isn't there black puddingy skin pooled up? Yeah. Or like a primal hmm. version or something before the mm -hmm. others started doing what they were doing, right? Because we know that these are related to one another. And there's, despite whatever, you know, is going on with the others at the core of it, their motivation, something happened there that has a very human motivation, something that we ourselves would recognize at its emotional core. They were humans too. Yeah, even though George says they have no culture, and I'm like, you have no culture. No, I'm joking. <laughs> like, you don't know that. Are yeah. you saying that they are no longer their past selves? Big O, Fuck New off, Jersey? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm just coming for George for like no reason. I'm sorry, George. Oh, 
I'm like, I feel like white's rights doesn't work, though. So, no. George, you need to rewhite that one. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> rewhite. Oh. Mira wants to argue about these orders, but Jojen basically commands her to do as Cold Hand says. Jojen's eyes are dark green and mossy, but they have a new weariness to them. The mm. little grandfather had been wise beyond his years south of the wall, but here he is as frightened as the rest of them. Mira listens all the same, and Cold Hands leaves with four new ravens following him. <laughs> yes. Mira turns to them, asking, What did he mean by men? Wildlings? And he had told them they'd go to the Three Eyed Crow, but it seems like, in Mira's opinion, they're going in circles. They passed this river before, and Bran's like, actually, that's not possible. Rivers twist and turn, and lakes and hills have to be gone around as we've done, so you will see. This is actually not the same river. I think I would be the person to be like, we've fucking been here before. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I want to come back to something we discussed long, long ago. I want to say it was actually in Theon's chapters, right? About... um. Hmm crossing rivers it's not the same river right because they are not the same therefore it cannot be the same the passage of time means that you're a different person and that makes sense it's a story that is very interested in the passage of time because we are talking about timey wimey stuff chloe and <laughs> i made a reference it's also a story that's interested in when it comes to time and going back in it this very circular nature of things whether that means like patterns repeating in cycles in terms of we're seeing maybe a new age of heroes right the stories coming alive once again or maybe some of the old hurts from the rebellion also rearing their head again but also in a literal sense, again, that ability to relive events through time travel and memories, like getting stuck in a weirwood, seeing the people that you love alive over and over again. It's it's a story about being caught in loops. I mean, even Ned, right? He was caught in a cycle of his grief, unable to break free from the past. So That's what makes that third chapter so good. Mm, oh, God. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, my God. And let them grow up as brothers and let my lady wife learn to forgive well forgiveness let's talk can about you imagine yes. lady stoneheart <laughs> he's no. undead no i cannot uh, imagine uh, her and her putting soft anyways <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> mira hates secrets she doesn't like or trust cold hands who is he? What is he? Anyone can put on a black cloak, she says. Anyone or anything. Interesting line. Mm -hmm. She questions why he doesn't eat, doesn't speak, and Bran doesn't say it. But she's right, he thinks. And in my head, I'm like, how much of it is she right about, Bran? Whenever they take shelter, the ranger keeps away from them with his eyes closed, but yet does not sleep. And the scarf was odd. He's definitely hiding something under there. He brings it up now, saying... You're kind of right, his scarf never gets hard with ice like Hodor's beard, but at the same time, they'd never seen his breath. Their entire party's hot breath could be seen whenever they speak, but not cold hands. Very quick aside, some of this, is, it makes sense that Melisandre's chapter, what we learned about her is in this book too, alongside it. That's a very interesting call out. In fact, there's a lot of Melisandre, I feel like, oh, in this chapter. Interesting. Hmm. A little bit of a... Ralu talk to come. Also, 
that line, anyone or anything can put on a black cloak was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, John. Especially (laughs) if he comes back undead. Yeah, that's true. I mean, everyone, He, too, could be an undead watchman. Is going to probably be asked to to join the Night's Watch. In a way, it makes me think of, this is completely unrelated, end of Spider-Verse, where they're like, anyone can put on the mask. You can wear the mask, or whatever it is. Everyone can be part of the Night's Watch and be a hero. Or a monster. Just like at the end of Mean Girls when they break up the tiara. <laughs> yes, yes. It's literally the same. Yeah. That, is that, that what might be the end of A Song of Ice and Fire? Yeah. Oh my Everyone's god. just like, wait, is that. Is Mean Girls the end of A Song of Ice Sansa Stark stands up and she takes the crown and she it's starts breaking it. It's plastic. just plastic. <laughs> uh, next POV, Sansa. Bran remembers the tales that old Nan used to tell him when he was a wee babe. The giants, the ghouls beyond the wall, the snarks, the grubkins. But they can't pass. So long as the wall stands, so long as the night stands, the men of the watch are true. So go to sleep, my little Brandon, my baby boy, and dream sweet dreams. There are no monsters here. The ranger wore the black of the night's watch, but what if he was not a man at all? What if he was some monster? Taking them to the other monsters to be devoured. Your monster, Brandon Stark. <clears throat> you know, this reminds me of a quote from Freddie N. Big Nietzsche. Nietzsche <laughs> Nietzsche on the philosophy ones and threes. I was like, Who the fuck is this Freddie N? I, I decided you were talking about like Freddy Krueger or something. <laughs> no, Nietzsche. Um. <sighs> He who fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. For when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. Hmm. Methinks that Big Nietzsche here is on to something because Branny Bran is kind of looking into the abyss and the abyss is looking into him, it feels like. Definitely. It makes me now think of the, the undying. Right. They stared into something too long and look at what happened to them. And they're this is kind what of you could become. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, now that I think about literally. it, wait, literally, because they are trying to eat Daenerys's body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if and I remember correctly. The trees, right? The yeah, uh, yeah. contrasting trees with exactly. the blue and black and the white and red. Something's going on here. And yeah, I, I, I mean, again. We just discussed that cannibalism with the the undying, and it's here too, right? Because literally the language is, what if he was some monster, taking them to the other monsters to be devoured, yet, as we know, and we'll be discussing more and more, Bran also being a monster within this story, and we have something going on here of like, you know, something that's familiar and the unfamiliar, with taboos being broken, and we'll probably talk more about that in Freud's essay on the uncanny next episode because I was too lazy to relearn it for this one. I feel like it really comes up in the next episode, though. So I I'm feel excited. that too. I feel that too. So it's like it's okay. Sorry, I'm ready everyone. for an Eliana essay. <laughs> Some Freudian Eliana is how I spice up my life. I'm not kidding. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that in a um, maybe a more clear way that isn't you know Freudian itself. Whoa. Bran hesitates because he remembers that the ranger saved Sam and the girl from the whites and now is guiding them to the crow. Mira argues, crows have wings. Why won't he come to us? And her, my brother grows weaker daily. 
Jojen coughs and says, we will get there. Yeah, this isn't like a critique or anything or like me saying anything about Mira. It just kind of reminds me a bit of like in the Storm of Swords when they're like, why won't Doran just come to us? And it's like, well, he can't really walk. It's a very difficult journey for him. Bloodraven is literally tied to a tree. It's a difficult journey for him. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be eating those words. De- I mean, devouring as long those as she's words. eating something, apparently yeah. that is the problem this this chapter. Yeah, I mean, to her credit here, since you were obviously coming at my daughter. No, I'm just kidding. It's well, I, a fucking I fictional wasn't. character. I was just like, I know no you put knows. the disclaimer no. so that I wouldn't yell at you. Well, no one knew that Doran was like actually legit sick. They were like, mm, he's just being rude. No, that man is sick. Fucking faker. No, it's true though, because that's literally like, I will push myself to do shit even when I know health-wise I probably shouldn't be going on some big trip or doing something if I know that I'm not like healthy for it. Like I will push it because I don't like how people think like that. Exactly. People think yeah. that way. So that's a really great yeah. point. Bitches think that But then that they way. go and then they see him tied to the tree and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. He was with <laughs> us the whole time with the birds. Yeah, this motherfucker literally could not come. Uh, he was there. He was there. He was he not was an absentee bird dad. They arrive at the lake. Frozen with snow as far as the eye can see. It's hard to tell where the lake ends and the shore begins. Even the trees aren't really a help. There are decorated wooded islands deep in the lake, and then around them is just barren land. Snowdrifts are higher than Bran himself, and there's a strong, cruel wind, putting snow in their eyes, leaving them blind. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's shorter and crueler than the last each day. They think they should have come up to the village by now, and it's getting closer to nightfall. They need shelter fast. Bran's face is numb. Jojen's lips are blue. Hodor's beard is ice, staggering more than once in the snow. No one was as strong as Hodor, Bran thinks. No one, if even his great strength was failing. He realizes he can use Summer to find the village and slips into Summer's skin where the woods come to life with noise and wind, the elk, Hodor's breathing, and familiar scents of leaves, grass, rotting carcasses, and man sweat. Man sweat. I know, man sweat amidst the man rock. The elk teases him, but the boy whispers to the wolf, He is not prey. Leave him and run. The dire wolf sprints off through the snow, his paws wet and cold to a hill with pines, turning in a circle, howling. Man smells, ashes, burnt wood, soot, charcoal, a dead fire. The wind is gusting, so it's hard to follow, but Bran directs Summer, stumbling upon a village by the lake under a crescent moon. Yes, we're getting the moon in a lot of Bran's chapters to show us the passage of time in terms of how this journey is going. And then now we have buried under the snow. The stone houses could have been boulders or hillocks or logs. It was empty, abandoned by the free folk who lived there for reasons that we all know, like the rest that they passed. Some were burnt, but this one was spared. They find a dozen huts in a long hall to shelter in and try to find food. They find the ashes of a fire instead, floors of dirt, and a bone-deep chill. An ice-covered stream runs nearby and the elk cracks it with his hoof. Mira fetches broken ice for them to suck on. So cold, <laughs> it makes them shudder. And Summer refuses to follow into the hall. Bran tells him to go hunt, but not the elk. Off-limits. Bran wants to go too, but thinks later. Ooh, Bran's learning a little discipline here. He's growing. He's growing in different ways. It's not a straight arc to maturity. I know this <laughs> myself. Time is Supper. not linear after all. No, it is not. Not when it comes to growing up. 
supper is acorn paste. It's bitter, and Bran gags, trying to keep it down. Jojen doesn't eat. Mira tells him to eat, but he says he wants to rest. This is not the day I die, sister. I promise you. You almost fell off the elk. Almost. I'm cold and hungry. That's all. Then eat. Crushed acorns. My belly hurts, but that will only make it worse. Leave me be, sister. I'm dreaming of roast chicken. Dreams will not sustain you, not even green dreams. Dreams are what we have. All we have, the last of the food that they had brought from the south, was ten days gone. Oh, so now Jojen gets to be poetic about not eating. I, I just think there's a hilarious, like, kind of, uh, not hilarious, it's actually really sad, student-teacher reversal here, as Jojen is now the one who's refusing to eat, and everyone's like, Jojen, you gotta eat. It's even sadder when you realize that he knows it's not worth him eating the supplies because he knows he's probably going to die any day now, so it's better they eat it anyways, because yeah. he knows there's nothing to save him, and he knows, and they don't know when it's coming, but he knows it's coming. <laughs> yeah, so he goes and he eats. He partakes, though, quite a bit of the, the other pig later, but that's because yeah. I guess he, I don't know, maybe he's just dreaming of meat. Real food, sustenance. Well, it actually... Reminds me of Eamon when he goes and oh. at the end how he went. I feel like that is something that we're supposed to be feeling here. Yeah, because, Sam suffers yeah, it at the same yeah. time. Yeah, interesting. Hunger had walked with them each day and night. Summer couldn't find game in the woods either. They lived on crushed acorns and raw fish. Oh, this is fancy. Ooh, sushi. Thanks to Mira's prowess with her frog spear. Charcuterie. But been... <laughs> right. But it had been three days since she had caught anything. Hodor rocks back and forth, muttering on his haunches. It's too cold to talk, and cold hands had warned them not to light a fire. You cannot know what the light might summon from the darkness. Oh. Uh, I've decided that's my cold hands voice now, you know? Uh... <laughs> I came up with it just now, on the spot. I like it. Thank you, thank you. Character. Hopefully I remember it. You won't. It makes him shiver and sleep won't come. So he slips into summer skin, leagues away, the night rank with the strong scent of blood. A kill wasn't far. Not elk. Not deer. Something else. The wind A blows the sense away. Thing. <laughs> it's a secret And he tries to find it, losing it several times until he hears a distant sound of wolf. The scent of blood is back. Meat is back on the menu, boys, but other souls too, like piss, dead skin, bird shit, feathers, and the wolf pack. He would need to fight for his meat. You cannot know what the light might summon from the darkness is so reminiscent of R'hllor to me. Yes. It makes me think of Melisandre coming back to her and Ralu. Oh, uh, yeah. It makes me... Curious about that relationship between Sears and R'hllor and that pool of magic even more. And it kind of brings me back to Davos 3 in Akok, Akok, A Clash mm. of Kings, where he and Melisandre have that conversation before she summons the Shadow Baby. And he tells her the God of Darkness protects him. And she says, speak not that name, sir, lest you draw his black eye upon us. He protects no man, I promise you. He is the enemy of all that lives. It is the torches that hide us. You have said so yourself. Fire, the bright gift of the Lord of Light. Mm, I absolutely agree. There's something about the light summoning from the darkness that, that is very reminiscent of Rolorism and Mel's stuff. And you know, there's something about, like, I don't know, the uncanny too. Not only does the light 
lure things or summon things from the darkness, but it's also a revelatory aspect, right? Like it, well, it doesn't technically always summon things from the darkness, but when you cast it, what you're able to see might be, you know, maybe even darker than what was hidden because it's now out in the open and the secrets unfurled. Like who is cold hands? I love that. And to top that off, it reminds me a little bit of that mythological aspect, right? In a lot of religions or lore, right? Folklore that have moon or sun lore. And it's interesting in the idea of like darkness versus light, right? Like this is an origin story of the darkness and the light having a fight for all time. And one time the darkness won and it was the darkest time of all. But now we're up close and we've seen the servants of the darkness. We've seen some of those servants of the darkness and what they look like and what they can do. Yeah. And when you put it in that in that light of the origin stories, you think about, you know, the supposed maybe birth of dragons or something, right? Coming from a light source, the moon, mm. a moon, an egg. Ah, moon is uh, not egg, Eliana. <laughs> moon is egg. Moon is a very expensive egg. Moon is not egg, Khaleesi, used to be a saying in my household, like, every day. I just <laughs> really? need you to know. I say it all the time. I'll be like, Moon uh, is not egg, Khaleesi. <laughs> About the most random shit. Doesn't even have to yeah. be anything egg-shaped, but always. Uh. The female wolf chews a leather boot with legs still attached. The pack leader, a grizzled old male that you might know with a blind eye who snarls, moves to meet him. A younger ba- male bears his fangs, too. Around them is a nest of entrails and blood, a head staring up at the moon. Men. Alive, they were five. Now, they are none. Dead. Done. Meat. Once cloaked and hooded in black, now, meat. Summer's meat. The boy back in the village stirs, thinking, They're Night's Watch. But the direwolf doesn't care, baring his fangs and beginning the dance. But the wolf and the direwolf's eyes meet, and they realize. Warg. <laughs> Warg. What is it good for? Warg. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's it is kind of interesting that before when Bran's like, no, leave the elk, you can't eat him. Summer's like, sure, but here with like the dead people, Bran's like, no, no, we can't. And Summer's like, yes, we can. The dead brothers of the watch, especially like that line of dead, done, meat. And being described as meat, it makes me also think of coming back to Cold Hands. If Cold Hands is a corpse, reanimated by Bran, using a term that is specifically mostly used for food, it reminds me of some of George's other short stories that involve controlling corpses or bodies, aka like his corpse handler short stories of Overdrive, Nobody Leaves New Pittsburgh, but most famously, which plays into this, the idea of meat! Houseman. So again, you know, meat and consumption in which you become a part of something or someone and it becomes part of you. And again, skin changing as a form of cannibalism as you consume or use their body and how it's different, right? Assuming that maybe this is like, there's n- literally nothing to prove that Skagosi cannibalism is like a misunderstood ritual uh, for honoring the dead. But if it were, there's nothing about skin changing a human, as far as we can see, that is about ritual or honoring the person whose body is being consumed, right? Like, they aren't dead, but they're being, they're alive and being used. And you talk about the, kind of the power of consuming, too, and what it means. It's very spiritual, right, for some 
cultures that utilize said cannibalism, but like thinking about it, if this is a legitimate thing that George is going for, in my opinion, it makes Jojen Pace that much more true because yeah. it sets the ground clearly. But not only that, but also if blood strengthens Brand's power and yeah. human and consumption of human meat and flesh would enhance his power and he reanimated cold hands slash is whatever is going on with cold hands yeah. it would require a lot of gas in the tank is what i'm implying to do that right for a little boy who's not yet in control of his power to be able to do that so thinking about it this made me think about why specifically besides being starving and dying those humans could be consumed I wonder if, like, they have to be alive, if it's, like, a live flesh thing, right? I mean, we see sacrifice being done to the trees Raw. in honor of the trees, yeah, like, in the third Bran dance chapter. Mm -hmm. But it's also, like, you know, what you're saying of Jojen Paste, and then, again, remembering that with the Undying, they tried to literally eat, eat Daenerys, starting with her boobs. Um, the sexiest part of the meal. I guess it's fatty, you know, you think about it, it's it's got a lot of fat, so is it like, I don't know, Kobe beef? I, I don't know how- Girl, Danny is like A5 <laughs> Wagyu, you are so right. Well, also she was, but at the same time, she was starving at that time, like, a, just true. a little bit before, so, I don't know, she could not have been that delicious, and- I don't know why, where I was going with this. Oh, no, now I remember. I wanted to ask you. So, interestingly, after Jojen died the way he died in the television show, some people thought, they were like, oh, that disproves Jojen Pace. But for me, that he got killed off at that time made me think, oh, Jojen Pace is real. That's an interesting way to look at it, like, meta-wise, because I think there's something to that, too. Agreed. I don't know. How did you feel? Like, or did you not think about that at all? I don't think I was as big of a believer in Jojen Pace at that point. I think it... Let's talk about how Jojen Pace has evolved from being very meme to actually being... <laughs> and this is also, like, literally a result of a fandom that's on pause. Yeah, that's true. It did used to be a meme. It that's used true. to be very memeable. 2014-2015, Jojen Pace was... No one believed it or cared about it. The people that did were real, you know, higher living, woke. But the people that were not were like, it's a meme. Um... Now, though, it's a meme. <laughs> uh, especially on reread of these chapters in this linear way, I'm sorry, but it I don't know if it's a meme. This right here is really laying some groundwork for some gruesome stuff with the cannibalism and the way that George reveals things and the way he builds things in his world. It wouldn't surprise me. And now that you add the TV show to it, I'm like, eh, they really didn't want to show much cannibalism besides the That's what true. the Night's Watch deserters. Not really even. Yeah, they didn't. They just had like some guy like edgy, edgy like drink out of skull. Mormon's skull, which is like boring. Let's yeah. show people eating people, and like there are shows that do that. And yeah, I the, I felt it was a meme until like that happened in the show. Then I was like, oh, oh, it's real. That's <laughs> I so decided funny. in that moment. <laughs> I mean, even The Walking Dead did Maybe. a great bit in I want to say season five. It, it was a really good season long arc where they get herded like cattle to this place. And mm. it's been out for like 800 years. There's like 47 seasons of The Walking Dead. So I feel I'm able to spoil this. But they get herded. They get part of their, the, the place is advertised as a utopia. And of course it is not because no place in the apocalypse is a utopia. That's not possible. It's the point. Yeah. 
Uh, so they get herded into these blocks where it's quite obvious that like some of the people are getting passed through as like legit to join that team, but that team is just butchering humans, and that's how they have a happy world full of meat. And you actually mm. watch a guy, you like have a, a, a screenshot, wake up, he gets kidnapped by them, and you watch him get his leg eaten. Like he's just chilling. They're like roasting part of his leg, and bit by bit, he's still alive. It's very gruesome. It was a crazy plot. Like if you watched episode by episode, week by week on it. It was one of those real good burn episodes where you're like, what? Ah! Uh, I would have loved to see more cannibalism on Game of Thrones. I'm surprised they didn't do, like, they shied away from that, but it's the same sort of surprise that I'm like, why didn't they do Arianne? You know, like, played it so like it would have fit what they were going yeah. for. Um, Boobs, yeah, cannibalism. Soylent Greenseer. Yeah, Soylent Greenseer. Green <laughs> please make that your new He's Twitter name. Can you no, please? I know, I Sailor Moonblood. I, I, it's just like, I just like it's it a brand. being there, but I do like, maybe, maybe I'll just put Soylent Greenseer somewhere, but I don't know. My anyway, God. that's my new thing today not like a thing that's what i have brought to you that is my gift to all of you soylent green seer you are my favorite soylent green seer i really yeah i never gave it much credence that theory but as we reread it this way that's all i can think about is that they're jojen paste that they're jojen looking i bet Pasty. he's not even delicious right now he's wasting away yeah maybe sinewy you know lean Maybe the sacrifice is better that way. We don't know. We would love to know the rules. Yeah, one day, maybe we will know. As the wolves battle, the world shrinks down to tooth and claw. I love that line. They're rolling, snarling, snapping until finally, after a good fight, the one-eyed wolf lies down and shows his belly. You can, t you can in fact, touch dog bellies. Um, so this battle between this wolf, right? Versus a one-eyed, older, maybe, like, weaker wolf slash warg. Foreshadowing for a confrontation with Bloodraven. Yeah. We'll talk in a little bit. This is, of course, Veramir's pack. But it absolutely... The first thing I thought of when rereading, I was like, one-eyed? That's so funny. George. <laughs> That's George. So funny. <laughs> so funny that you did that. And it, then it also, uh, I started going through all the one eyes. You know, I was thinking of Aemon, I was thinking of mm. Euron, I was thinking of Blood Raven, and then I was thinking of um, the Umber. I was thinking yeah. of all of them. And, you know, what do they have in common? Everything. But then I was like, ah, Blood Raven is next. Thank you for bringing us through these eye patches, George. <laughs> the direwolf snapped at him twice more, sniffed at his butt, then lifted a leg over him. A few snaps and a warning growl, and the female and the tails submitted too. The pack was his. The prey as well. Golden showering the doggo. Wow, Bran, power move. Next we have him sniffing from man to man, settling on the biggest, gulping down the blooded meat. Rawr, rawr, rawr. We have a line of, no flesh had ever tasted half as good. When he was done with that one, he moved on to the next, and devoured the choicest bits of that man too. He leaves the other wolves with the scraps and thinks that they were his now. They were Pack. And, uh, the Grishka. Uh, but the boy whispers, no. We have another Pack. He thinks on his dead siblings, Lady and Greywind. But somewhere there's Shaggy, Nymeria, and Ghost. And then Chloe's favorite line of, remember Ghost? There's a line right before this there when he says no flesh had ever tasted half as good. That reminds me, I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of. It reminded me of when Sandor 
wraps Sansa in his cloak when she's being beat in the throne room. Oh, and she thinks yeah. no, uh, what should she say, no satin had ever mm. felt so fine or whatever. Yeah, it's just yeah. an interesting turn of phrase that reminded me of that. But yes, on to the sadness. Yes, yes, let's keep going to the sadness. Continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in regards to the sadness, right? Like, Bran reminding Summer, like, no, we have a different pack. It, it speaks to that idea of having, right, you can have multiple packs in different families and how the story's constantly asking who is your family. And that's especially true for John's storyline. As someone who's raised as a Stark, he has a wolf to show that he is part of that pack. But he also has brothers, another family in the Night's Watch, like Sam, who's like, John was my brother. And I'm like, oh, Sam. And, and then we'll also learn later on that John has another family, his girlfriend, right? Talk about found family, uh, as well as being seen as a leader amongst the free folk. Family, fuck off. <laughs> found family, found uh, out my family. <laughs> found yeah. something inside your family, like your cock. <laughs> something I love about this so much is the way that it ramps up, though. Uh, Summer is lost in Berserk, and, and there's that great line we've been discussing, right, of Bran versus Summer, and when is it Bran, and when's it Summer, and when does the wolf become the boy and the boy the wolf? Mm, and yeah. when does he let Summer take over because Summer is better at feeling certain things or is able to do different things that he's not, and etc. and his humanity allowing him to do different things in different ways. I find that fascinating, but it ramps up as Summer goes berserk and he has to remind Summer of their family, right? Like, not just this pack, but also our actual family. And then it breaks, and we have this passage that literally breaks my heart, makes me want to sob. It's so sweet and sad. Falling snow and feasting wolves began to dim. Warmth beat against his face, comforting as a mother's kisses. Fire, he thought. Smoke. His nose twitched to the smell of roasting meat. And then the forest fell away, and he was back in the long hall again, back in his broken body, staring at a fire. Just the saddest, most beautiful dissolve that what kicks him out of Summer's body this time is that he remembers his family, and, and he's able to separate himself, right, from from losing himself in the bloodlust of eating these men when suddenly he's like, no, we're human, we're, we're Stark, we're them, you know? Remember, remember who they are, and that's what makes him jerk out of Summer's body, lose mm -hmm. that focus. And I just thought it was sad and very beautiful, and I love that dissolve. Just picture it, right? It all just falls away, and there he is in the cave. There he is in the cave, getting ready to eat people again? Mmm, yum. <laughs> Dine and dash twice, baby. Right. <laughs> Mira turns a chunk of meat as he wakes, telling him he slept through supper. She says the ranger found a sow. Hmm. Uh, which, okay, sure. And Hodor was tearing apart a chunk of meat, grease down his beard, smoke between his fingers. Hodor, he muttered between bites. Hodor, Hodor. And even Jojen eats, and there's kind of some playful language here. Um, the line says, Jojen nipped at his own joint with small bites chewing each chunk of meat a dozen times before swallowing. And I think that the way that they phrase that really blurs the line of what we're talking about when it says his own joint, right? Do we mean like, oh, the little piece of meat that he is holding and has cleaned? Or do we mean his own joint, like as in from his own body, bringing up ideas of, for example, Lady Hornwood or an Ouroboros, right? Like, again, maybe Bran, if Jojen picks one day. 
<laughs> I love that it's a math equation. If bran equals x and jojen paste <laughs> equals y, x, y. <laughs> I love that language. That's such fun wordplay George did there. Nipping at his own joint, especially because in the end he is. In the end, that's going to be him too, it seems. Maybe. It's Maybe. his own blunt. Jojen Reed nipped at his own blunt. Oh my god, Jojen Reed smoking himself like the little blunt he is. Making us the tall joints. Reed. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Wow. <laughs> of course, the prologue comes back to us at this point in Bran 1, right? Only three chapters later, so it's meant to stay in our head as we watch the face-off with Bran, Summer, and Varamir and his pack. One eye, a beta male, a female. This isn't the only part of Varamir, right? And his tact for abomination, or at least what we've learned is abomination through Hagen. That's our only viewpoint. It might not actually be abomination, I'm just saying. Shows up. Because next, we have the pig. The ranger killed a pig, Bran thinks. Coldhand stands behind the, beside the door, a raven on his arms, reflection glittering on his eyes. Bran notices he doesn't eat and he fears the flames. Oh, interesting. Also the pig thing, right? I guess it's just a long pig joke. Long pig is allegedly, allegedly phrase that meant human flesh for consumption. But is it true or is it not? Mm. That's interesting. That makes sense to me. And that actually really wouldn't surprise me if that is the the little nod, because we're going to get to this in a second. Uh, coming off that prologue where we hear the human flesh is an abomination, working into humans is an abomination, everything Brand does. This chance meeting deep in the north brings up a phrase I like to call thematic resonance. Thank you. Ooh, it, I've heard that. I don't. That's on the bingo card this year, anyone? 2023 GGC bingo. Knock it off. It reminds me of Arya's second chapter in Feast as well. So similar timing to this if we paste the books back together. Question your meat, Aeswath characters, or not, if you're hungry. Their cold flesh will be taken to the lower sanctum where only the priests could go. What happened in there? Arya was not allowed to know. Once, as she was eating her supper, a terrible suspicion seized hold of her, and she put down her knife, staring suspiciously at a slice of pale, white meat. The kindly man saw the horror on her face. It is pork, child, he told her. Only pork. When Bran asks Coldhands what happened to the men at the campfire, which Coldhands now claims is totally fine since he killed the men, Rip Allo with his one hand. Shout out to our minor character for Micah there. He responds, they won't trouble them. We get this exchange between Jojen and Bran and Coldhands, where Jojen is watching this happen. Only Jojen seemed aware of what was happening as Coldhands turned his head to stare at Bran. They were foes. Men of the Night's Watch, Bran thinks. You killed them, you and the ravens. Their faces were all torn and their eyes were gone. Coldhands did not deny it. They were your brothers. I saw. The wolves had ripped their clothes up, but I could still tell. Their cloaks were black, like your hands. Coldhands said nothing. Who are you? Why are your hands black? Who are you? <laughs> My God, Bran, you can't just ask Coldhands why his hands are black. <sighs> The call and response is really well set up here, right? Every beat in between. You killed them. You and the ravens. Their faces were torn. Their eyes were gone. Cold hands did not deny it. They were your brothers. Cold hands said nothing. I thought that the silence there was so deafening and rhythmic the way that mm. it's set up. 
right? The lack of response from cold hands proves what's happening here. There's no fight about it that this is obviously those men of the watch. Bran already saw it through Summer. Cold hands is basically admitting it through omission of information. And But what's worse is that not only do we know it's human meat, but Bran is so hungry, the group is so desperate, Bran is willing to not blow this secret of the abomination, right, of the Watchmen. He is willing to let it slide. Mira, Jojen, Jojen knows. He knows what's going on. He started looking back and forth. He's like, ah, I see. But does he know more with that very knowing look than maybe we know he knows? Who knows? But Soylent Green Dreams. Soylent Green Dreams. Soylent Green Sears. But they're willing to blissfully ignore it. Right? Ignorance is bliss for them in this moment because they're fucking starving. And in a way, just like with skin changing, right? Showing that dangerous line that Bran is writing that he's starting to descend upon. The rules no longer really matter. He's willing to blur those lines and to be blissfully ignorant and to eat these men. I'm not mad at him about the food or anything. Like, I personally, I'm not the police of Bran Stark on this podcast. That would be Eliana. You would have to ask the police officer sitting across from me in the digital world. Uh, Um, Rude. All Eliana is bad. Um, I'm not mad at him about any of this. Like, in good faith. But this is interesting. If he's not controlling cold hands, food is food. They're dying out there. If he is controlling cold hands, food is food and they're being hunted. So, I mean, sure. But also, Bran. Bran, please, what? If this is you, Bran, speak up. Speak up, Bran. Yeah, I mean, I also don't blame them for eating for sustenance. Um, if I recall correctly, I don't think I really blamed, I don't know, the guys in Stannis' no. camp for eating the people who fell either. They're fucking hungry. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing, like, I guess if you kill them and then bring them back and tell the kids, hey, uh, it's people, or yeah. it's not people, right? Like, it's it's kind of, like, messed up to obscure it. But um, I don't know if Bran really knows yet or realizes. I think he's, like, right about to piece it together and just doesn't. You know, because he's too, mm-hmm. like, engrossed in the mystery. So I don't know if he knows he's eating people here yet, but... He will. Um, yeah. And I I don't know. I don't judge it, right? Like, in terms of what the people eating those who fell again, like, in Stannis' camp, or even, like, again, maybe Skagosi cannibalism, which might be a misunderstood and heartfelt ritual, probably, but really there's no proof. Uh, I'm just saying shit. But... I agree with you. Like, very true. If it is Bran inside of Cold Hands there, it's like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Did we not have other options? I don't know. Eat some of the crows. Uh, <laughs> I will say that, like, yeah, as we've discussed earlier, some of the things that Cold Hands does or how he acts feels less like it might be, I don't know, Bran, because how can, like, Bran be doing all these things? Maybe he sets things on autopilot or whatever, which does happen a little in Meat House, man. And more like, was he created by Bran, right? Like, with the language of your monster later, it definitely feels kind of like a, I don't know, Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Especially, you know, when it plays with the idea of, like, but the real monster was Victor, you know? Things like that. Yeah, and coming back to Kyburn and Robert Strong... I'm really feeling like those align so well with this of being able to reanimate and give them somewhat their own sentience, but also not. Uh, I would really like it if it was a little closer to that. But also it speaks of that we have this 10-year-old necromancer on our hands that he has all of a sudden started to kind of be able to perform some necromancy a little better. I mean, on par with Kyburn. Yeah. 
it would have been interesting with the time skip, right? He would have been like what, uh, like I guess eleven to thirteen ish in that age range, and that's mm-hmm. an interesting age for someone to to be. I think a necromancer or a skin changer in that way. That I makes think... me think of the blood bending from Avatar a little bit too. Yeah, like it's I think an interesting age for that in the way that Bran's age isn't, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. 13 is a little more coming of age, especially with puberty and life and brain and in things de- changing. Yeah, and like desire, not necessarily sexual, but just like just finding things that you want for your life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really aligns well. Well, coming back to the idea of the missing chapter, right? The chapter that we believe is pushed to the winds of winter, which we'll have to find out when we get it. Look under your seats. It could be there now. Coming back to just the chapter alignment, right? You look at Feast, and the end of Feast for Cersei is Kyburn. Like, here's your champion. And Mm. to have that, you know, them finally get to the cave from their champion. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if, like, maybe that part of Cersei's story not being, like, written yet, maybe that's part of why it's delayed so that some of those can all hit together at the same time. But I do think, yeah, there probably was, like, another brand chapter in here that was pushed to wins because we know, like, what, 250 pages or something were pushed to wins mm-hmm. that were originally yeah. supposed to be in dance. Jojen's death, I would imagine, and Cold Hand's reveal. Those yeah, would be some I big think- things to look for. I agree. I think Cold Hands Reveal would have been part of it because it feels like we're being set up for an arc that was supposed to be in this book of like set up mystery of Cold Hands, deep in mystery, do other brand things, and then reveal at the end of the book, cliffhanger into the next one, right? Yeah, because he's getting a lot of his Jedi training arc. He's Jedi training with Bloodraven in this book. So the final chapter should kind of be like a summation of like, oh shit. By the way, I know that you just started to get the hang of this, but everything's going to get stirred up. Here's a bunch of chaos. Friends going to die. Yeah. Cold hands is here's the reveal of what you've been making this whole time as cold hands. Yeah. Absolutely. You made your journey. You made your journey. And then, like, does he choose to continue, right, for that pragmatic aspect of we need to do this to save the world or not? So, mm-hmm. again, again, like, it's fine with where Bran is now, but I do think... I don't know why. I just feel like it's a, a, a dilemma that would be more interesting for a 13-year-old. Yeah. And overall, I think something really well done for George is the POVs, right? Like, missing that brand chapter for me doesn't ruin A Dance with Dragons. It still is an enriching experience yeah. to have Bran and dance. There's no... With where it ends, I'm still fine with that because it leaves a lot of mystery. And I'm very certain Bran is going to be a big anchor in the story moving forward. I would imagine oh, so, right? Sure. I think. And not removed. I guess he was removed for a book. Never mind. <laughs> he had a season. Yeah, a season and a book. I mean, not like D&D and George who disrespect him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you can also see where POVs are about to diminish. So, like, there's going to be a lot more room for Bran, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Cold Hands tells them that when the heart stops beating, blood runs to the extremities, thickening and congealing, becoming black as pudding and answering our questions about Gregor Clegane's death. The rest of him turns milk white. Mira demands he show them his face, and he makes no move to do so. Bran, this is interesting, feels bile in the back of his throat and says, mm. Cold hands is dead, but monsters cannot pass if the wall stands and the watch remains true, like Sam, who brought them to cold hands. 
Mira's hand tightens around her meat-impaled spear and asks who sent cold hands, and we get our for now answer. A friend, dreamer, wizard, call him what you will, the last green seer. The long hall's wooden door banged open. Outside, the night wind howled, bleak and black. The trees were full of ravens, screaming. Cold hands did not move. A monster, Bran said. The ranger looked at Bran as if the rest of them did not exist. Your monster, Brandon Stark. Yours, the raven echoed from his shoulder. Outside the door, the ravens in the trees took up the cry. Until the night wood echoed to the murderer's song. Yours! 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 Jojen, did you dream this? Mira asked her brother. Who is he? What is he? What do we do now? We go with the ranger, said Jojen. We've come too far to turn back now, Mira. We would never make it back to the wall alive. We go with Bran's monster, or we die. Damn. I don't know why when I do Jojen, he's almost Scottish, but when I do Mira, she's just a normal girl. Does anyone know? <laughs> That's my question. Has anyone noticed that? Do you associate Jojen with Shrek? Because of the green? Because of the bog? Yeah. The bog and the green. I'm not kidding. Howland and Ashara is literally Shrek and Fiona. Anyway. Uh... Or Sansan. We don't have time for that. Oh my god. Watch Shrek the We're, musical. We, you're Sansan. Uh, yeah. So, very metal ending. Lots of lots of brand chapters have pretty metal endings. I don't know if it's intentional, but the language is confusing here with the your monster. Now that I read it again, and I feel like I read this line different every single time I read it. Uh, not like when I mean, not every single time I read it in this, but like every single read through, right? And because if you look at what Bran is responding to. Bran is calling the three-eyed crow a monster based on the way that like this dialogue is 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 la- layered against one another, right? A monster for being a dreamer and a wizard, and therefore the bad guy in the stories for defying these taboos. And so therefore that would make Bran also the monster, which is something that we were talking about last chapter with the Nightford, right? Especially because he's he's like the three-eyed crow. He's meant to succeed the three-eyed crow and has many of those same same powers and again the monster in the stories that Bran feared in the night fort was himself but the way that everyone is talking it does kind of muddy what we are talking about when we talk about the your monster right like is it is it actually cold hands i think cold hands it, it sounds like cold hands is the your monster of Bran's, but that aside, Bran being the monster, though, does fit beautifully with a lot of the themes of A Song of Ice and Fire with some of our big three when it comes to, I mean, they're not the only big three, but like, you know, Tyrion, right? And and Daenerys' story and those themes, and especially with the fact that like in Danny's first chapter in this book, which is only two chapters before Bran's, you have that same horror of seeing those broken Eden bones, so the, the child's bones the revulsion she feels with the revelation as she sees the horror of what she's done, what her dragons that she sees as herself, an extension of herself, has done. And it's something that interestingly, like Bran in his youth doesn't feel. 
that yet as he devours uh, the Night's Watchmen as as Summer. Though of course he does feel pretty pretty mad about the killing of the of the Night's Watch brothers, but yeah, the entire book's theme really overarching is Bones, right? From this very beginning to uh. Quentin's end and John's end, right? Where both die at the end of the book. Yes, they do. They do. And then Danny's having a little rebirth moment, right? With her, I don't know, ayahuasca trip. And by that, I mean, like, she's starving, but in a different wilderness. And then in regards to, like, you know, again, with Daenerys' story, then the next Danny chapter is about finding out, like, wait, what if you're the monster, right? Which, again, is what we're saying is part of Bran's story. Because in Adawada, Danny 2, which is right before a Reek chapter, which ties, of course, very much into Bran's story as well. We have that line. Mother of dragons, Daenerys thought. Mother of monsters. What if I unleashed upon the world? A queen I am, but my throne is made of burned bones, and it rests on quicksand. Without dragons, how could she hope to hold Marine, much less win back Westeros? I am the blood of the dragon, she thought. If they are monsters, so am I. So that I think that ties really well with where Bran's storyline is going to go as he realizes what he's capable of and what power really means and the cost of it. And I've not considered this before, but it does seem strange. This is a little bit of a different idea that the Three-Eyed Crow is considered the last green seer. And I mean, like, I've always kind of thought that was strange because... I, Bran is literally right there. What do you mean last? We got a successor right there. Someone could come after Bran too. What do we mean by last? But we're talking about cycles here, right? And the breaking of cycles within this story, breaking of these patterns that keep recurring. And if Bloodraven is actually meant to be the last green seer, then it speaks that this world will eventually be gone. The, uh, this sort of rebirthing of the world so that whatever Bran is, whoever Bran will be or become, He's the first of it, like a line of something different. You talked about uh, Avatar earlier, and by Avatar, we mean Avatar the Last Airbender. I'm thinking of, you know, like in Korra's storyline, right, where a new cycle or something begins. Which I love. Korra is something so personal to me, and honestly, there are some great little parallels that you could probably bring up of that hero's journey with Bran, right? Mm -hmm. When you talk about disability and so many different things happening with her powers, I like what you're saying that Bran will be the first of something different, right? Because he's not going to break the wheel. Or sorry, no, he's not going to stop the wheel. He's going to break it, as a famous woman once said on Game of Thrones. This could be the start of something. <laughs> I do think that, though. Um, and you're uh, on... About the high school musical? Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Um, that we're soaring and we're flying. <laughs> Oh, it, that is actually the thing. Coming back to the, uh, you know, the idea of the circle here for Bran, not the show that you like, but the other circle, <laughs> you know, it makes me think of that imagery we see from the House Toland sigil later mm. on. And what is that? R-E-N-T-W-O-W-1. Is that a T-W-O-W chapter I'm thinking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's T-W-O-W. Read the T-W-O-W sample chapters, no spoilers, or listen to our T-W-O-W episode on REN that we did a long, 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 long. I don't know what that was anymore. <laughs> oh my god, girl, 2019, way, we oh. were different people, yeah. But, you know, the house toll and sigil of the dragon eating its own tail and 
kind of for the Targaryens what's happened for a long time, right? Like the Dance of the Dragons, of them just tearing one another apart. And in a way, this time loop would kind of answer that Brandon the Blank of it all, right? Of all these different Brandons and were they one? Were they many? Mm. No one knows, but Bran is a part of that cycle and also not a part of it, breaking it and creating a new cycle. Yeah, you brought up also the Ouroboros imagery. And and the end of All You Zombies reminds us of, like, I think directly references the Ouroboros. So. Yes. And that yes. is kind of a cannibalism, a self-cannibalization. Self-mastication, if you will. Mm. You will. I, I guess. My soylent little green seer. <laughs> soylent green seer, your soylent green dreams. I'm not sure which one, like, makes more sense yet. I like green Maybe seer. Maybe for... Yeah, it does, does sound better, because then it's the people. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at home, at home, please write in and tell us what you prefer. I think that would be so helpful. I want to know if you like Soylent Green Dreams or Soylent Green Seer better. I don't know. I think I said Green Seer first, but then I was like, I guess it's technically Green Dreams, though, if it's Jojen, but I don't know. Does the accuracy matter as much as the catchy branding name that will make people purchase and consume people? Who knows? Ooh, consumerism driven wild. Ooh, more consumerism. Buy, sell, buy, sell. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's a Dota brand one. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. We've been really happy to have you. Yeah. We'll, we'll be eating you next month. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Join us. <laughs> we're having Tanya for dinner. Wait, no, we're not. Oh, God, she's not going to want to come on with like me uh, saying this sort of run, shit. Run, Tanya, run. <laughs> run. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But yes, so excited to have, I mean, that was part of the thing too, right? Like, obviously for episodes about Bloodraven, we have to bring on A Thousand Eyes and One. But that will be going live March 3rd for the public. Tanya from A Thousand Eyes and One will be joining us to discuss Adoada Brand 2. And if you're looking for updates on that, where are you going to look for that? I think that the best place for you to look for that would be on Social media, specifically ours, on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N. And again, if you have thoughts on Green Dream, Soil and Green Dreams versus Soil and Green Seer, you can email us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know if you've got a brand new bottle of Chianti and Brand some, new bottle? My god. Laying around, let us know. And make sure you're subscribed to us on a podcast platform near you, whatever's your favorite, whether that is Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Acast, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, you name it, we're on them all, pick one, or two, or seven, I don't care. And somewhere that we definitely always are is on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where you can get bonus episodes this month's bonus episode is The Mystery Knight, available for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, $5 and up. Who is he? And hey, if you- <laughs> A mystery. Oh, if... Cold Hands is a mystery Whoa, knight. Oh, he's the Whoa, mystery wait. knight. I gotta think about that more. <laughs> and if you want to support us in the Thunder Tier, the $10 and up tier, we would be so grateful and you will get an access to our private Discord where- Weekly, we have some events running right now for a rewatch of his Dark Materials Series 3. We will be on Episode 3 this week as the episode airs, with thanks to our patrons that are hosting it on Saturdays from 1pm on. But we will also be doing our monthly brunch slash happy hour. 
It'll be happening this Sunday, February 19th from 1 p.m. ET till 3 p.m. ET. And we hope that our patrons in the Thunder tier and above can make it. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your monster, Brandon Stock, Eliana. Regrettably, we will continue doing this every week. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.